Welcome to the Open Door Real Estate Podcast, where we will be opening the doors to the minds of those who own, you got it, multiple doors, and all professionals in relation. Today's podcast is brought to you by Barnett Capital, working with equity partners to create wealth through multifamily real estate. Let us do the work while you enjoy the returns. Today's host is the one and only Matt Barnett. Get ready to open your mind because we are about to do so to those who own multiple doors. All right, welcome to another episode of the Open Door Real Estate Podcast. Today we have an amazing guest, Mr. Shannon Robnett. Um, First of all, Shannon, thank you so much for even being on the podcast today. I know that there is a lot well, thank going you, on. Thank you, Matt. In the world. I appreciate the invite. <laughs> um, for those listening or watching that may not know who he is, Shannon has been building the Treasure Valley since 1999 and has completed projects from police departments, fire stations, city halls, a long list of office buildings, industrial flex space, and residential real estate valued at over $100 million. So basically, you almost build everything. Um, his goal is to always make sure projects cover clients and partners' needs and goals and develop projects that meet and exceed those goals. He has also been an owner in eight other businesses from transportation to mortgage and restaurants, but has always made his way back to developing and passive income cash flow. If that wasn't enough, they're also building around additional 500 doors in Idaho this year alone and always set the standard high to ensure the best possible product and outcome every single time. Shannon, thank you so much again for being on here. Thanks again, Matt. Looking forward to it. Let's take a jump all the way back to the beginning. How did you even get into real estate? And then how did you get into the development niche itself? Well, if we take it back all the way in time, uh, Matt, we're going to be sitting around my kitchen table. I'm about 10 years old. My dad's a general contractor. My mom's a real estate agent. I didn't really have a choice. Uh, you know, we can jump forward. My brother, I graduated from, from high school, was headed to college, uh, was doing my second semester of college, and my brother's building houses, you know, back when we built houses. We, you, you, you dig the hole, you, you do the excavation, you sewer water electrical, you frame it, you paint it you pour the concrete, you do everything in it, and you, you can build about three houses a year. And I'm sitting there watching my brother make 45 grand a year in 1995 as I'm trying to go to college, and I just said enough of that. And so from there, you fast forward, I was, uh, I was able to pick up a lot. It was next to a job site that, that my crane operator needed, and I got it rezoned and developed into a storage yard and that was at 22 years old. I'd done my first redevelopment. And from there, I just knew that that was, that was going to be better than working for somebody else. And that was going to provide the, 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 the opportunities that I was looking for in my life. Oh, absolutely. So you had a little bit of the, the skill around you in advance, I would say, since your family was in real estate. Yeah, you know, I the typical conversation was about buying this property, selling this property, past the Brussels sprouts. You know, it's just it's just what we did at dinner. Yeah, absolutely. So it's in your blood. <laughs> um, yeah. 
I want to I want to talk about like the the fire station and the city hall and stuff and how that kind of works because I'll be honest on my lack of knowledge on I have a lack of knowledge on developments but were those syndications or were those like the the city funded but you had to come out and quote it and and, and they paid for it or how did those work? You know, a lot of our projects are design build where we engage a, a, a client with an, a particular need. Uh, when we were when we built a city hall, we knew what they wanted. Uh, we bid on the plans. So I, I work for a wide range of clients. Uh, all of them pay a lot better than I do uh, when I when I build things for myself. But you know, in that, I've gotten uh, a really good understanding of how to be in in. The construction market to be very competitive and to be able to put stuff together and, and uh, you know with North Ada County Fire and Rescue we built uh, two of their fire stations and remodeled several of their other ones. That's awesome and what's it I just I'm just curious what's it like working on a project like that? Um, you know it's not it's 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 not that fun uh, you know you're <laughs> you're uh, I mean, Everybody thinks about it, you know, they think, wow, fire station, you know, you're going to deal with firemen and you're going to deal with, you know, we did, we did put in a fire pole, but other than that, you know, uh, you're creating a big house on top of an engine bay that, uh, you know, a bunch of people live at. They literally spend, you know, half their life or a third of their life living there on site. So it's, it's interesting because, you know, in one sense, you've got to, you've got to take what you think the job is going to be out and you got to set it aside and you've got to listen to what your client needs it to be in order to really wrap your head around what they want because a lot of times what we think it is isn't what it is hmm. yeah that makes complete sense have you ever were there any instances ever where you had to like come back and completely redo a section of a project because it you know the client just messed something up or no, um, we have, you know, I, we, we, we tend to work with the architects and engineers at the beginning. So, you know, if, if you and I wanted to work on a project, uh, you know, we'd sit down and we'd talk about what you need and what you, what you think you want. And then we start establishing your budget so that we know, you know, we're not designing the Taj Mahal. Matt's got a budget that we've got to get done for, you know, $250 a square foot. So this is what we're going to be able to put into it. You know, we can't have this, we can't have this. So we're guiding, usually guiding our clients along the whole way so that nobody gets out over their skis and uh, we're able to get the project built for what the budget is. Mm. And that's really important. No, absolutely. And then your past deals, I mean, you've built a ton of things. You sent me a list and that was only not even all of it. And it was amazing. I was sitting there looking no. at them and I, I got weird and was Googling and looking at the buildings on Google Maps and stuff. And it was really cool. And are those deals or a majority of them, uh, you do syndications for those, correct? Or you do those for like, well, how's your syndication model look? When we're doing syndications, we're in the industrial space and we're in the multifamily space. So, uh, you know, we have, we actually built a forest service building for another group that built it as an investment property for a GSA contract, which is uh, who everybody rents from in the government. They have the, the GSA agency. So we've done some of this, that stuff where it's been sold off as investment property. But, but for as far as we're concerned, we tend to stick in the multifamily space, in the brand new uh, ground up developments there, and then also in the industrial space. And they're all in Idaho, right? Yeah, 
you know, people ask, you know, have you thought about doing stuff in other parts of the nation? And, you know, when, when we have the volume of work we've got, uh, and I've been, in, I've been in the Treasure Valley for 40 years, I know it like the back of my hand, I know where the deals are, I know how to make them work. If you spent time Googling where I, uh, what I built, you probably spent Googling, some time Googling the Boise market, which is in, I mean, literally the top five markets in the nation and on just about any category from best places to retire to mm. uh, best places to raise a family. Cost of living's great. You know, uh, state is pretty out of our business as far as running business. So it's really a great place to live. And, and you know, we've got great cap rates. We've got great growth projections. We've got a lot of things going on that keep us at the top of those lists for quite a while. Yeah. And how do you, how's, what's your take on the growth like that? Because Idaho seems to be a nice, peaceful state, but it seems like a lot of people going into those, I wouldn't call it a rural state, but kind of adventuring out from major cities and going to newer cities like that. How do you see a growth like that affecting the city you're in? Well, I mean, like I said, I've, you know, I've uh, been uh, in the same area for 40 years. I've watched it grow from a population of about 300,000 to a population of uh, right about 800,000. Um, I've watched it go from a town to a city to, you know, uh, what it's what it's becoming now and I've seen a lot of change and you know I've benefited from that change because I've been a part of that change as far as development goes and you know I, I've seen the good and the bad you know uh, what was a two-lane road is now a five-lane road and 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 we actually have traffic uh, you know that that might take you uh, you know my my commute from from my house to my office is seven miles and if it's busy it might take me 14 15 minutes you know so mm -hmm. so we still don't have you know those problems we're still not dealing with a, a new york state of mind but but we do have a lot of growth and what people come for is they come for the lifestyle and you know i think with especially what's going on right now with everybody realizing that you know you could get stuck in your house for a long time uh but everything everything's become a, a virtual meeting right and so people are able to enjoy that lifestyle be in a, be in a place where you know 45 minutes you can be on the ski hill or uh at the lake uh obviously different times a year but you know lots of lots of nature around us lots of hiking and biking and rafting and all that kind of stuff uh and so if that's you know if that's something you're looking for it's it's awesome and you know we're not we're not densely packed we're not on top of each other, you know, we, we, there's still plenty of, of room. Everybody's for the most part got a backyard. So we're rural enough that you don't feel like you're in the center of, you know, 40, 50, 60 miles of population. Mm. No, that makes complete sense. And then your syndications, what, I mean, I'm curious, everyone has different business models, but what sets your syndications apart from other syndicators that are doing value add developments? Well, first of all, I don't know too many people in the syndication space that are doing ground up. Uh, we, we come in, we, we've, we've, you know, we're building brand new. And so the typical model of a value add um, is going to get challenged a lot, I think, in the coming months because we're going to flatline, I think, with our rents for the next 12 to 18 months. I think everybody's just going to be happy to, you know, get – get through this period, adjust, figure out what Corona really did. Um, the ground up model is, is completely different in the sense that, 
let me give you an example. I've got one right now. It's a 36 unit apartment complex. It's 312 plexes. Uh, and we're building the project for all in costs of uh, $5.3 million. And we've got a third party appraisal from CBRE uh, that puts the value at 6.5. So we know that an untrimmed rent in 12 to 18 months when the project's finished, uh, we're going to have a value based on the cap rates that we see somewhere north of 6 million. So we kind of already know what our profits are. We're not trying to force the appreciation. And mm. so, you know, and, and we, we hear all the talk about uh, value adds where, you know, they get into it and there's a, they find a, you know, lead paint or waterline bus under the building or, you know, all these different things that happen that, you know, now you need more CapEx uh, or you're three quarters of the way through and all of a sudden you're sitting right here, uh, May 22nd, Corona 19, or Corona 2020, right? And, and all of a sudden where you were forcing or anticipating in your model to force rents by 150 bucks a door, you're just going to hang on and hope to get through it. Well, that's going to blow a hole in your cash flow model. Mm -hmm. The other thing that we look at our, in ours is ours are more of a growth syndication in that we like to build the project. We like to stabilize the project. And then we like to look for somebody else to take on the project. Uh, we like to sell the projects off. And so we're not in the situation where we're trying to bring the money together to pay a top dollar for a 1973 Motel 6 with six coats of lipstick on this pig, <laughs> trying to make something special out of it that it never was to be. And then we're going to put more CapEx in it to try and get it to be something else. And then in order to get that out of it, we've got to hang on long enough for that thing to appreciate at three to five to seven percent a year to where at the end we get enough money that makes it a a 19 percent IRR. Mm -hmm. Most of my deals do uh, mid-20 annually. Uh, most of mine are, are fairly quick to get in, get our cash, make our money and move on. Um, so there's there's a lot of different things and and you know I think that you know, the value add is trying to, uh, in a lot of cases, is trying to be a one size fits all. You can, you know, you, you've got the safety of having, um, you've got the safety of having cash flow that's already there to pay your loan. But in a development model, you've got an interest reserve. Mm. Uh, in the value add, you know, you, you've got CapEx that you've got to spend. Uh, then you've got to, you know, force the model. You've got to push that around. You've got to try and get that to work. Um, in, in a ground up, you've got the difference between, you know, your, your projections are at rent today, market today, but you're going to be 12 months down the road when it comes online. You've mm -hmm. already got that, that market in. And when you're looking at your construction loan versus your fully stabilized takeout loan that you got on your, you know, your cap six that you bought in Denver or wherever, uh, you know, we're sitting there looking at it going at 75% occupied or 75% of rent, we can make our bridge payments until we stabilize. Mm. So we've got some options there. We've got flexibility that, that is kind of built into the deal. But a lot of people look at it and they go, well, I don't want to get involved in development because that's risky because we could never get it rented. We might get into a situation where, you know, we get it built and there's no, there's no tenants. And, and I think that that has more to do with lack of market research. Mm. You know, when you look at the market that we're in, we're expecting, you know, we're expecting the same growth that we have had, which is a two and a half, three percent vacancy currently for the last four years. 
we're expecting that for the next 24 to 36 months. So when you're dealing with a 12 month, 14 month development, you're well inside that. Mm. So it just really depends on what flavor is, but we, we tend to attract, uh, I don't want to say younger people, but more aggressive investors mm -hmm. um, that are looking for better returns because there's more risk, but because it's quicker and we're not, we're not trying to rehabilitate something that's built in the eighties. You know, tenants needs and wants have changed and we don't yeah. have to compete with so when you really think about it, if you're going to go head to head with the value add, I'd rather be in a new development because we've got the flexibility to come down and compete at your level, but not, we don't have to. Yeah. So I noticed you were touched on your investors there for a second. Um, what's that conversation like though? Obviously, like you just mentioned the pros of investing in something like that, but what's the conversation you have? So like per se, if I were to, if I'm doing a syndication deal, and I, we get under contract, we got 90 days to close. And then after that, the investors know in the next month or next quarter that they're going to get distributions. What is the conversation you have with your investors? Cause it might be 12, 18 plus months for you to build the property before they do get returns. Correct. Or. Yeah. But it's also about expectation, right? When you, mm. when you do a value add, you set the tape, you let people know, Hey, listen, um, we're going to talk about starting to get distributions uh, after we start forcing the appreciation. We're going to mm. we're going to close on the deal, and then in 90 days we're going to flip our first four units. We're going to push those, and then as we as we get prices come up, then you know we're going to be able to start start passing out money. But again, it has to do with identifying. I think more than anything, your particular investor and my particular investor profile isn't necessarily looking for cash flow. They're looking for growth. So most of my investors tend to be under 50 um, and they tend to be in the section of their life where they're trying to take a hundred grand and make it 300 grand. Mm -hmm. Most of my people, most of my investors are doing things in their IRAs, whether it's uh, uh, qualified IRAs or non-qualified IRAs, but they're still trying to get the tax-free growth to get to a place where now they have $2 million or $3 million that then, then they can invest and, and live off the cash flow. But it's just a different model as far as how they're actually going about building it. So when they know they're getting in, they're going to be 12, 12 months before they're getting out, they're not doing it for the cash flow. They're doing it for the 20, 22% uh, that they'll make in that 12 month period of time uh, once the project's done. Yeah, no, that makes complete sense. I love learning about this stuff because I, I, like I said, I have limited knowledge on the development side of things. So it's very interesting to see how the structure is and see how it works on, on your end. It's really interesting. So to, to stay on that topic for a second, what is like your deal timeline? What is like the, the model behind the actual multifamily developments? Well, you know, I mean, when we're, acquiring the ground. I mean, what we do is we do all the preparatory work. So we've got the ground acquired. We've got the city's uh, blessings, the zonings that are necessary. We draw the plans. We, we, we put everything together. And when we are ready to, you know, basically get started, we reach out to our people, our group. Uh, we, we're always, you know, looking for new people, meeting new people. But at the end of the day, we're sitting down and saying, hey, we're going to start next month. I've got, we just broke ground on 44 units last week. We've got another uh, 36 that we're going to break ground on here uh, in the month of June. And, you know, the money's sitting there, right? So we're going to break ground on it. And 
nine months later, we're going to be done with the construction. We need a couple, three, four months to stabilize with the market that we've got. If we pre-lease properly, that'll take about 45 days, but then everybody want, with financing wants to do the 90 and 90, you know, 90 days of stabilization at 90%, which we can, you know, we do because we're selling the product out. So we're typically, you know, we, our deals tend to range from, let's say one to three, one to four years. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, if you were to your value add and take your cycle of investment and the first year you might make 5%, 6%. That's where all your costs are. That's where CapEx is spent. You know, maybe the second year, if you blended those two, you might be pushing upwards of eight to get everybody's, you know, their, their, get their 8% pref back to them, you know, and then you're going to bump along at that 8% until it's the, the value has grown enough that maybe you can do a, a refi and get some of their cash back. I'm getting that growth 22, 24, 26% in that first 12 months. Mm. And then we're bouncing, you know, we've got a bigger project. We've got 190 units that will start later on this year. That one's going to take about 36 months to build, right? Mm. From start to finish and stabilized, right? But in 36 months, you're coming in at a guaranteed 18%. You're walking out 154% on your, you know, on your investment when you walk away. That's not, a, that's not a deal that too many people have to think about. And when you're looking at growth and you're really looking at how do I get from 50 grand to 500 grand, you've got you've to 10x this stuff a little bit faster than an 8% cash on cash bumping along for five years until we can get some refi and get your initial investment back. I'm mm-hmm. talking about being able to move your funds in and out in a period of 12 months and provide you with a very handsome return. Yeah. So I want to talk about, so what the, the property's up, you're going to start renting it out. What does your entire operation look like for the stabilization process? And, and just to add on to that, would you ever, you know, maybe it's 50% occupied and maybe the property's in an amazing location and a REIT comes in and wants to buy it and they, and they give you a top dollar. Would you sell it at 50% occupancy for top dollar to them? Well, of course. I mean, the sooner you get your return, right? It's just like it's just like anything, right, Matt? I mean, the quicker you can get to to X. Mm. I mean, in in our our world, we know our investors know where we want to be, right? So we we're not setting the timeline out there ten months. We set the timeline at a dollar amount, right? But to go back, um, when I first started doing this, I, we, our, our last apartment complex that we just stabilized was a hundred and eighty unit apartment complex, and and I needed the right guy. And, you know, I hear people complain about property managers and, and I hear people talk about, you know, the issues that they've had. And I thought, you know what? I'm a control freak. Let me just go get my own. I've built a property management company before. It's not that big of a deal. And I reached out and I grabbed a hold of this guy, Jeff, and, and he's absolutely phenomenal. But our philosophy is something a little bit different because as we all know, a cap rate is very important to a deal, right? So what we did was we made sure that now we're, we're in brand new, right? We're not class B. We're not trying to compete with the other broken down properties, the Sundowner Inn and, you know, the Bates Motel that are now converted. We have a different, different property. We look at the five properties around us that were new, and I made sure that we were $35 more. Why? If you're paying $35 more for your apartment, you did it because you had a reason to do that. You liked mine for whatever reason more than those other five. Mm. And when it comes time to renew, you're more likely to stay. 
But I also want you to take $35, Matt, and I want you to divide that or by the or figure that out by the cap rate on 180 doors. It's over $1.8 million. Mm. So if it took me months longer to get my $35 a door, do you think it was worth it? Oh, absolutely. Now we brought in a cable package on top of that. Now we brought in the other things. So we have done things that have added $111 a door mm. over the praised value through our property management and our average additional rents on our properties, 111 bucks. How do you think my investors felt about that deal? Oh yeah, they love that. <laughs> we just added millions, right? But, but we weren't in a hurry. We weren't yeah. sitting there like property managers to say, hey, $99 move-in specials or, or all the concessions we can give away because it's not our money, it's the developer's money and, and we're headed for occupancy. So by, by focusing on what occupancy really means, occupancy doesn't mean bodies in, well, that's, that's the wrong term, people <laughs> living in apartments. <laughs> but it's not just about that. It's about putting the people in the apartments at the top of the market. And that's another thing where I think the value add clientele misses the mark because they look at it and they go, ah, we're shooting down the road 10 years. We just need to get occupancy now. We need to keep it full. But they're hurting themselves because what happens if you needed to sell today and you hadn't been that diligent in the last 12 months on your complex because you weren't thinking about selling for a couple of years, but now all of a sudden you find yourself cash strapped, mm -hmm. you know? So your question the read comes along we're halfway through we're we're killing it matt we're getting 35 bucks a door more our, our price per foot is up uh we're, we're getting rents we're getting pet fees we're getting all the things that we can add we got covered parking we got ballet trash everything that you've heard of we're doing it right and our and our income is up so our ancillary income is much higher when they look, look at that they go holy smokes we're buying a cash pig here and they know they're going to pay for it so the the last 180 units that we that we did we're up over 30 percent over our original pre-construction appraisal just with those kinds of things that are all a benefit to the investors wow that goes a long ways too that's amazing um oh i had such a good question it's going to bother me well i'm just going to move forward then We'll come back to it if it comes up. So I have three questions here completely off of the, um, man, that question is really going to bother me. Anyways, three questions outside of the real estate world, but obviously you have, you got to have a mindset for this kind of stuff. What do you think your superpower is that's going to allow you to continue to thrive through these next few months where everyone else seems to be kind of sitting back and seeing how things are going to play out? Well, you know, that's the thing. When you're doing a development, you're not living in the here and now. You're not living in the present. You're living in the future, right? And so I get it. The world just did a hiccup, <laughs> right? And if you, were, if you were the day before the market crashed in 2008, you were going to get ready to start building a, an apartment complex, history would show you that you would be just fine because your completion is 36 months later. And if you really look at when the, when the recession stopped, it, we were already on the rebound by the time you would be putting stuff to market, right? So the reality is, and, and, and the other thing is when you're looking at supply and demand, right? We don't have, uh, in, in a market cycle, you know, you 
you go from recession to recovery to expansion to oversupply. We're still in the expansion, right? We're still growing. We haven't, if we would have gone into COVID with an oversupply, oh man, this would feel so much like 2008. It would make your hair stand on end, but mm-hmm. we're not in that position. We're in a situation where we're still in a, in a very solid space of expansion. So I believe we're going to have a V bottom in this thing. We're going to come down, we're going to bounce, we're going to run back up. But the reality is in the development, see if, if, if January 1, you took down a value add, I think you would be sweating bullets right now. Mm. January 1, we involved in a, in a ground up development. We still have another seven months before we're putting product on the market. We're not scared. We're not worried about it. This whole mess will have floated by by then. Yeah. So you got, obviously you're doing a lot of these developments. You got a lot of feet on the ground and I'm sure you have guys that are in your shoes, but different eyes at these projects to keep track of everything. And at the end of the day, I mean, you're, you're the numbers guy. You got to watch everything. But with a big team like that, what is your definition of leadership? You know, I think leadership comes down to the example you set. Um, I think that if, if you're not doing in your role, I don't think you can expect anybody else to do it. And, you know, when you've got uh, a framing superintendent and a CEO of a company, how do you compare the two? Well, who's the first one to the job? Mm. Who's putting in the longest hour? Who's making sure that their job is 100% done? And if that's not the CEO, then that's not leadership. Mm. You know, if that's not, if you're not out in front giving the example that the project manager is following, that the superintendent's following the project manager that sees that happening, that the framing superintendent's following that, seeing that happen, how can you expect your plumber to give you any respect on the job? Mm. And I that's how that. you, that, in my opinion, how you create that culture of leadership. Yeah, I love that. It's almost you get what you give. Um, right. And you have to give first. No, absolutely. Absolutely. What <laughs> completely fun question. I'm sorry to like throw you under the bus like this. What keeps you awake at night? Um, you know, taking care of my clients, my investors, um, you know, making sure that we maximized it. Um, you know, when we're, when we're looking at this, we locked in, for example, we locked in a lumber package uh, on Wednesday, okay? Uh, it was a $2 million lumber buy, and I'm wondering if as continue to soften, maybe I should have waited, but I had to get it to the job site. Could I have saved some it would have made a little bit of difference on the investor spread. Did I make the right call? I got to keep the project moving. Time is money, you know, and, and to see that, you know, it, it's one thing if you go to, if you go to your job and, 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 you know, I don't know, you, you, you work at a car wash or you, or, you know, you're, you're doing something like that. But when, to me, when you're in charge of people's money, the fiscal responsibility that comes with that, I think magnifies things, mm. you know, you can, you can mess up somebody's sandwich order or you can, you know, you can not clean their car good enough or, you know, just short of being the airline pilot, you can't really mess that job up. But <laughs> there's things that there's, when you're managing with people's money, you're dealing with that. There's such a responsibility there that you have to take that so serious. Mm. Absolutely. Um, I want to, I'm going to jump back on the beginning of when, when you started talking there, you mentioned the materials and stuff. 
Um, this is just me being nosy. When you see a flux in, in a little bit, we haven't really moved much in this market yet, but when the market does drop, do you see a cost difference in materials? I'm sure you do, but I'm just curious. Yes. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, going into COVID, nobody knew exactly how long or we, we didn't know what we were in for. So, you know, lumber mills were continuing, fuel prices dropped. So what do you make PVC pipe out of? Petroleum products, you know. Mm. Um, so imports from China, we're going to see something happen with that, depending on how, long, how, we, how we decide to get along with each other. Um, you know, so there's going to be some things like that. But the one thing that I always hesitate on, I don't mind taking advantage of the, of the price drop in the materials. <laughs> it's going into a market like this that I, that I hesitate to take the advantage of the price drop in labor mm. because that hurts the home team. That hurts the community that I'm trying to build. Not that I completely ignore it, but COVID is going to provide some opportunities and how you take care of those people that you're taking advantage of the opportunity depends on how, how well they're going to take care of you coming out the other side. So if you're constantly hitting them in the labor side, you're going to struggle when it's, when it's go time and you need a favor. If mm -hmm. you're renegotiating your, your side, your material side all the time, that's, that's a little bit different thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I just want to touch on something and say that I respect so far that you have yet to mention basically anything about yourself and you continue to talk about your team and your investors and everyone around you. And I love that. Um, but I'm going to jump off topic here. There's well, a book. Unfortunately, unfortunately my team, uh, I'm the face of the team and this is all the better looking we are. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, but my team, anybody, anybody that sits here and talks about themselves being the deal is, is ludicrous. Mm -hmm. I mean, and this is one thing that syndication is more so than anything I've ever seen. It is a team sport. It is about getting 10 retirees in a room with 50 grand uh, and, and, and a developer with a ton of energy that's found something that they can add value and, and a property management team that can come alongside and make it all come together. I mean, it really, really is a team where if you want to go build an office building, you go build an office building, you mm -hmm. know? And, and when you said, you know, was it exciting to build a fire station? Building an apartment complex is exciting because you're building a piece of a community where people live. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my team does my stuff. They're the ones that perform. I mean, I, I'm, I'm the one that puts the thought process of getting it started, but none of that forward movement happens without them stepping in and doing all the things that take the time to get us to this point, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I love that. I do. I, and I could sit here and talk about it for hours, but I'm just, I'm not going to. And I want to talk about a book recommendation here that I have from you. It's called The Homeless to Billionaire. Why did you recommend that book to our listeners and what can you tell us about it? You know, it's, it's an interesting story. I don't know if you've read it, but it's about a rebellious kid who winds up in Thailand a native of uh, Europe, uh, I believe it was Switzerland or Sweden, I, I can't remember right now, but winds up as a rebellious person in Thailand with no one around him. He has no sphere of influence. He has no anything. And the humility that comes into his life that becomes his teacher uh, 
is amazing because he really learns that by taking care of others, he truly is taking care of every need and desire that he wants. Mm. And there's a story in there in the book about the noodle lady that took care of him. You know, he didn't have the money to buy the noodle, to, to, to afford noodles, and she would feed him. And he, he talks about how later in life he realized what, what she was doing for him and how negligent he was in his side of that relationship because he didn't value her as much as she valued him. And so it's just a book about somebody who absolutely, literally came from nothing without even a handle on the language. Um, and, and again, he has uh, made something of himself in a way that he's very proud of. I'm very proud of the way he did it because he took care of everyone along the way. Mm. No, I love that. I, at the end of the day, I ask for these recommendations. I wonder sometimes if it's more for myself or for the listeners as well, because I love reading new books and, and that one sounds amazing. So I definitely yeah. have to check it out. Um, shameless plug. Where can people find you, learn about you, invest with you, and just be a part of you and your deals? Well, I mean, obviously, everybody's on Instagram and Facebook these days. Uh, ShannonRobNet.com or MyVerticalEquity.com is where we've got our deal sourced at. Uh, so you can, it's not www, it's just MyVerticalEquity.com. You fill out a questionnaire there. You, uh, all, all our deals are 506C. You jump on there, you can check them out. You can do everything you need to do there. You can email me um, at, uh, you can find me on shannonrobnet.com, shannonrayrobnet uh, on uh, Instagram. Follow me there. I, I love talking with people. I love helping people. I love coaching people, you know, because I was, I was that person once. I was the guy trying to figure out, I mean, my first real estate deal, I, I wrote a earnest money check for 500 bucks and it wasn't my last $500. It was my only $500, right? I mean, you feeling me? It wasn't, it, I mean, it wasn't a question of, of, you know, if this didn't pan out, was there something else? I didn't have, this was my only 500 bucks. Mm. And that may have been a lifetime ago, but it's still very, very relevant to me. And so if you want to get a hold of me, Google me, ShannonRobNet.com. You'll find me. I'd love to connect. I love to answer questions. I love talking. I love going through thought processes, strategies, all of that kind of stuff. I love it. I love it. And for those listening or watching, any link that Shannon just mentioned, I will 110% make sure are in the description of any audio platform you're listening to and YouTube and everything. And I want to talk about you post some great content on Instagram, by the way. I have help. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. That makes sense. <laughs> but I, Shannon, I appreciate you coming on here today and taking the time out of your day to be on here. I personally learned a lot because I, I, for the third time have a lack of knowledge in the, the development space. So I learned a lot. I hope those listening learned a lot and I appreciate you being on here. Is there anything you would like to close out on? You know, Matt, I just want to thank you for the opportunity to talk to you and your listeners. And I really do hope that it brought something. And I'm serious about people reaching out to me because, I mean, I was just chatting with a guy in Georgia this morning on Instagram, uh, not because I'm bored, but because he had questions and he had legitimate questions. So guys, reach out to me. I'd love to talk with you. And Matt, thank you again for letting me be on your podcast. Absolutely. Thank you so much.
Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Open Door Real Estate Podcast, brought to you by Barnett Capital, where every Monday, we will be opening the doors to the minds of those who own multiple doors. You can find all past and future podcasts at barnettcapitalco.com forward slash podcast or facebook.com forward slash barnettcapitalco. Thanks for listening.